Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. This morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And the last time we spoke about the whole Herod, Herodias fiasco, it was fun because every so often I get to throw secular history in there, tell you what happened before the Bible picks up the story, and tell you what happened afterwards to Herod and Herodias um, after the biblical account is explained. And what's amazing is all the secular sources I went into spoke about the Bible. So, you know, I love the, the naysayers and the ones that try to challenge me and say, you know, the Bible was written by men and they were stoned and all this kind of weird stuff. But I mean, when you really start digging into the scripture, you find out that it's God's word and it's the truth. Because not that we need secular history and secular sources to back it up, but it certainly does in every example. And this morning we're going to look at uh, Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000 and the way they tallied the 5,000. They would count the men with women and children. It could have been upwards of 15,000 or more people. Now really, take a moment, because I like to do this, instead of running through the scripture, that we stop and think about the magnitude of that number. This church with the balcony and the seats in the back, if everybody was to pack in with no spaces, could fit around 400 people. Multiply that by 40. That's a staggering figure. That many people could not fit. We have a pretty big parking lot. They couldn't fit in that parking lot. Okay? We would, the police would come and say, where's your permit? What's going on here? So that's a staggering number that the Lord God fed. But I believe that God in his infinite wisdom, and he sent his son, and he did all these things so we could see what an awesome, powerful, mighty, grandiose God that we serve. Now, we're going to today speak about a physical feeding, but we're also going to speak about a spiritual feeding, because that's important. Jesus is the bread of life. It doesn't mean that the disciples munched on his fingernails when they were hungry. What he meant was it was a spiritual thing. He, as the Son of God, all truth emanated from him, all wisdom, all understanding. Okay, so the disciples fed on him in a spiritual sense through their whole journey with him, and he turned them into 12 guys that kind of bumped into each other, made mistakes, said dumb things, um, really failed, and he turned them into pillars of the church that now we've had for close to 2,000 years. We're going to look at six stages of ministry. In this particular, I like to kind of do it with numbers, because it helps us to go through it, where we at? I'm at number three, number four. So we're going to look at six stages of ministry. And I think we also have to understand here is people will come to this church and say, you know, I feel like I'm being engaged. I feel like you're talking to me. I feel like the Lord is, is, is calling me to do something after I've been here for a while. And that's good. Because you can go to a, a concert. You can go hear a preacher that speaks about you know, an ephemeral, you know, fleeting kind of idea of hope, an ambiguous message of hope, or you can really dig into the scripture. Unfortunately, there's too many preachers out there. They don't want to offend anybody, but they want to draw large crowds. So they'll find the Christ without the cross. They'll find the sacrifice without the blood. And you know what? There's no power in that. It, it makes us feel good. and We get excited but we can leave on a Sunday morning if we hear that type of preaching and not know what to do with it. You might as well just discard it like a gum wrapper. 
However, when you're introduced to the truth, that's why this is the third of the fourth preaching called Ministry the Lord's Way. This is the way Jesus did it. And we try as best as possible to emulate that. And discipleship is available to everybody in this room. And for those of us who've been in the Lord for a long time, the Bible calls us to disciple others, to pour into them. We have some handouts about discipleship at the info table. So starting with verse 30, it says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things. They're coming back from doing ministry, both what they had done and what they had taught. I could just picture them gathering around Jesus. Lord, 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 this is so neat. You couldn't believe it. And this happened and that happened. And I could just picture him joyful that they were excited about serving God and serving people. Verse 31, and he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So we move away from this, the Herod vignette, the little aside, you know, if we were looking at this in a four-part series, we're looking at this in, the, in a chapter. Last Sunday was a little bit about Herod. We talked about why that it was in there. Now we're going back to full-blown ministry here. The disciples reported back everything that we did. Actually, that's number four in our Calvary Chapel Crossfields discipleship handout. This cycle of discipleship slash training. So it goes, the Lord trained them. Right? He sent them out to do field ministry. They reported back. They rested, supposed to rest. They had trials. They messed up in their field ministry. He retrained them and sent them out again. And you see this go on and on. And that's what we should be doing too until the person gets it. And they're useful for the kingdom of God. And they're bearing spiritual fruit. Now another element of this is this concept of rest. Jesus says, come to a deserted place. Now, Those who live for themselves, and some are very honest about living for themselves, even as believers, they don't understand this concept. Dealing with, dealing in ministry, dealing with people, dealing with problems, it can be very taxing. I was actually reading, I I love physiology, that the brain uses 120 grams of glucose a day. That's a lot of glucose. At at resting, the brain actually uses 60% of the body's blood glucose. So when you're, when you're serving the Lord and you're thinking and you're listening and there's stimulation and you're teaching and, you know, I know a lot of pastors after two or three services um, on a Sunday, they go home, they, they, they eat a lot and then they go take a nap. They replace the carbohydrates and then they're spent. So there's something to be said about rest when we do ministry. And only until we, we get into that, that, that realm can we fully understand it. And, and this is, we're going to see this balance that Jesus kind of sets off. He's perfect. He's the Son of God. And the disciples are going to go back and forth until they find the sweet spot of ministry. So, as it's wrong to live for self, though I have to say this, at the under, other end of the spectrum is, are those that do too much or want to do it all. Okay, And we see that in ministry too. We get ahead of the Holy Spirit. We get good at ministry. We do it in our own strength. We are ready in season and out of season, so we tend to think that we can do it all. That's a problem, because it's usually rooted in pride. Uh, somebody who does that um, may have a savior complex, and there's only one savior. You know, the attitude is nobody can do it as good as me. Maybe control issues, which leads to exclusionism. We talked about when we laid hands on elders, we could use more help. We're not saying, hey, look, it's us up here, and then you guys sitting there. Hey, come join the fun, because <laughs> it is a lot of fun, and there's also trials to it, right? 
So on the surface, some who want to do it all may make it look good, but the Holy Spirit may be left out of it. And that's a problem. And then it becomes less of a spiritual pursuit, but just carnally fulfilling, like in the business world. And that's not what we're looking to do in ministry. When you run out of gas, you go to a gas station. When you run out of gas spiritually, it's a time for rest, prayer, and to be refilled by the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot. From all the cities, they arrived before them and came together to him. So the multitudes, they're running on foot, right? They have this hunger for Jesus. Were there some that used the Lord for a free meal or for healing or whatever, and then he never saw them again? Sure. However, many were viscerally drawn to him, viscerally from the inside. You know, there's just this magnetic, you know, people say magnetic personalities. The Bible tells us that Jesus wasn't anything to look at. He wouldn't have been on the cover of GQ. You know, he wouldn't have been considered good for model material from, from what I read. However, it was, it was who he was that people were attracted to him. So it was beyond skin deep. There was something much deeper, again, being the son of God. And they were drawn to him. My wife and I, uh, two weeks ago, were sitting, and we have a lot of really neat conversations. And we were sitting on our back deck and just talking about when we had first come to the Lord. And she said, you know, there were times when we would sit and listen to our pastor that 45 minutes wasn't enough. She said, he could have gone on for hours and I would have stayed there and I would have listened to him. In American culture, we're in a hurry. You know, I mean, as we... We look at our watches. we got things to do. It's a beautiful day. Do you know that Jesus preached for hours? And the people, they, you know, this is amazing. They were so attracted to the word. Their, their soul was hungry. It needed to be fed that the Bible is going to tell us that they, they got hungry in their stomachs and became weak and they needed sustenance. But the thing is, they were so, they were so moved by him spiritually that they started to neglect their, their uh, physical needs, right? As a matter of fact, I, I think it's funny when the Apostle Paul preached, too, for hours, and one guy fell out the window. He, he nodded off a little bit, but they brought him back to life. I think it was Eutychus. That was great. Great story. So the question is, are we still drawn to the Lord? I think that can be the danger. As a new believer, and I've seen it, people can be on fire for the Lord. They get excited. They, they use the things of God to change their business practices, to change their relationships, and then something happens, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, and, and some just, their fire goes out. And it's really a sad thing to watch because I'm still hungry for him. I still want to be used by him, you know. And if you've lost that, you can regain that. You can ask for it. Lord, where did I, where did we, where did I go wrong? And how can I get back to that place? Like I said before, we are not special up here. We're just willing. So... We're going to jump into the meat of, the, of the, uh, the miracle, starting at verse 34. It says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send them away. That may, they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. 
But he, Jesus, answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So the first thing we see in verse 34 in these six stages is, number one, is a compassionate response to those that came to Jesus. And it's, it's no different today, brothers and sisters. If you came into this church and you're maybe feeling down, maybe lonely, maybe you don't know a lot about the scripture, the same desire and fervor that Jesus had for those people 2,000 years ago, he has for you. Do you desire him? Are you looking to be filled? Has the world left you hungry? Well, you've come to the right place because we use the word of God. And Jesus is here, right? He is here in this very place to respond to your needs. And the Bible says that he reaches us through the word. Romans ten seventeen. By even hearing the word, it's regenerative. If I just read the word and didn't even explain it, you would still be drawn. There was a Hamas second in command. I forget the guy's name. It's a long name, hard to pronounce, but he read like one or two verses of the Sermon on the Mount. It was, you know, staunch, uh, radical Islam, and he came to faith in Christ, and he ended up leaving the unit. He left the, the organization because he was so ministered to by that verse or two, and then he started reading the Bible more, and he became a Christian. But you know what? Our hearts have to be open to it, because the truth is he desires all to be saved. The only hindrance is often the human heart. We put up blockades. We try to protect ourselves. And you know what? It's almost like the antivirus programs. We don't let anything through. And sometimes we do that to God too. You know, nothing can get through because God is a gentleman. He's not going to forcefully penetrate our hearts. We have to open up our heart to receive him. Amen? Okay. Jesus looked out at the crowd and he made an, um, an observation. He said, they look like sheep having no shepherd. Now, you know, you, you, you see stuff on Facebook, and I've learned the hard way that you have to vet everything. You know, there's so much hoaxes and stuff out there. And I saw this picture of a sheep in New Zealand, and uh, this sheep wandered away from the shepherd, and he got caught up in all kinds of stuff. And they found him in a cave, real fluffy. I mean, this funny-looking sheep. I mean, you couldn't almost see his face, he probably had hygienic problems, um, he, right? He got himself into all kinds of trouble because the shepherd wasn't there to help him and to groom him and to clean him and to care for him. And the sheep was very sickly. And when they took all the, the wool off of him, they found that he had 60 pounds of excess wool, this poor sheep, right? It's kind of sad, but it has a happy ending. You know, Shrek is doing well. Uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is that you know, when we don't have a shepherd, our Lord, um, we can be isolated too. We can have difficulties. I still don't understand why some want to do it without God, and I don't criticize them. Criticize them. I think part of it is, is empathy. I don't understand, because I was there. I lived on that side of the cross, and I'll never go back. 
So we need a shepherd. We need, because we're spiritual beings, you know, we need that protection and that care that the Lord offers. That's why he's called the good shepherd. And that's why ministers who are doing the right thing and serving under him are considered under shepherds. Right? He gives us, it's, it's pretty uh, impressive thing and, and it's, it's humbling. He gives us something to do with his sheep and to spiritually feed them. But it is sad to watch those that don't have a shepherd and are struggling through life. And it's even sadder to watch sheep under a false shepherd, the one that tries to fleece them and steal their wool and leave them cold and naked outside because they want their wool, to use them, to to eat their meat and, and destroy them. And that's what false doctrine and false shepherds do. And that's a sad thing to watch. At the East Coast Pastors Conference this year, there was a great teaching by this one pastor and he said to all these pastors, now this took a lot of courage. Hopefully he'll be there next year because that was great. He said, you, you guys, if you've become celebrities, because that's what Western Christianity is turning into, celebrityism. He goes, if you become celebrities and you forgot what it means to be a shepherd, he goes, whoever that is, you need to repent today. And you need to ask God what it means to go back and be a shepherd because we're not called to be celebrities. To me, I say amen to that. But God is a compassionate God, and and the Bible tells us that compassion really is the word in that verse. You know, when he sees us going through things, he has compassion for us. He loves us. He loves us, and he's more loyal to us than anybody we think can do that on this planet. And he wants to be number one in our lives. Verse 35. And when the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So two and three. Two is there's an arising dilemma. A dilemma pops up. Now, whenever we deal with people, the dilemma always pops up. Okay? That's just the human condition. We live in a fallen world. Uh, We sin and we bump into each other and... And sometimes there's problems, but here, here comes a dilemma specifically to them was a lack of food issue. And the third point was that the disciples put forth a poor, substandard, lame solution to the dilemma. And let's see how this goes. You have to wonder sometimes, did the disciples think that Jesus was just going to snap his fingers and do everything for them? Possibly. They saw it and they, they were so amazed by it and probably thought there's no way we could even compare to that. So You know, Jesus will solve the problem. He solves all the problems. But I believe, especially when you look into John's gospel in John 6, we get more detail about some of this intimate conversations with Andrew and Philip and Jesus. I believe the Lord allowed them to fail. Now, you might say, that sounds cruel. It's actually not. Failure is a great teacher. I've probably learned the most things in my life through failure. So I've fallen down many a times. And you take a mental note when you get up and you say, I never want that to happen again. So failure can, yeah, I see some smiles there. Failure is a great teacher. We learn really good things from that. What does a person who fails do? Well, they try to accumulate good information about the situation that caused them to fail so that it pulls them out of the morass of failure for the next time, and they do better. The sad thing is, is to watch somebody continually fail 
and keep saying, I got it, I don't need to listen to anybody, that person would be considered a fool according to the scripture. So John's gospel, we covered John, so I'm not going to go into great detail, but it gives us again this personal information. Jesus asked the question of his disciples, he presents the dilemma, and he's looking for them to give him an answer, and he's not going to solve their problem right away. As a matter of fact, in John 6, 6, I'll take one verse here. It says, he, meaning Jesus, said this to test him, meaning Philip, for Jesus knew what he would do. He tested the disciples. And brothers and sisters, if God tested those disciples who we look at as the A-list, he's going to test us as well. So we shouldn't be surprised when we get tested. We shouldn't be surprised when we blow it. However, and I taught this in two Berean rooms ago and to another group, what do you do when you get knocked down? You know, when I was a kid, I was drawn to the Rocky Balboa movies because no matter how many times that guy's face was like all bloated and, you know, he's bleeding everywhere and Mick's cutting his eye and bleeding everywhere. But man, every time he got knocked down, And actually, that character was based on an actual person. And there was a few boxers who you just kept not, they kept getting knocked down and they would always get up. I mean, amazing stuff. And as believers, we're not called to be wimps. I've got news for you. Jesus Christ was not a wimp. For him not to throw those Roman guards around and pull the nails out with his wrists, he stayed on that cross because of love for you and I. He could move mountains. He could heal the blind and, you know, make the mute speak again and cast out demons. And all, with all the power that he had, he used self-control to stay on that cross so that you and I could have everlasting life. Right? There is no Christ without the cross. They come as a package deal. And listen, when we get knocked down, we've got to get back up. A leg first, a hand to steady ourselves, to push up to get the other leg maybe a little wobbly, and then we're on our feet and we get our balance again. Now, that's physically, but spiritually, you know what I'm talking about. Don't stay on the mat. Keep getting up. No matter how many times you get knocked down, no matter how many times people tell you that you're a failure, that you're a loser, that you can't do it, the voices in your head that tell you stuff, that hold you down, put that aside and get back on your feet and get up again because that's what we're called to do because you know the one who's helping us up It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's always there. But we've got to put forth a little bit of an effort, brothers and sisters. That's an important thing to understand. So let's go back to what the disciples are are dealing with. You might see a fluctuation here with the disciples. Didn't it seem a few chapters ago that when they saw the crowds, they were so excited that Jesus had to kind of get them where they needed to be because they were getting a little bit, you know, maybe um, it was a high. So many people follow you, and of course they were following Jesus, but Jesus wasn't affected by that, but the disciples seemed to be. However, here now, they seem to have swung the other way, where maybe they view the the crowds as maybe a nuisance, maybe they lost compassion. Just send them away. Hey, they have have needs. Some of them may be faint. They might be elderly. They may fall on the way to try to get back to these villages. Nobody really prepared for the, the long sermon that Jesus preached. It's the same word, but said in different ways. Oh, the crowds, the crowds. And then some months later or years later, oh, the crowds. Gee, what do they want now? Another meal, another teaching. We can't even get any rest. It's the same word, but looked at differently. 
And, and how can we bring that into today? Is God is the ground rod for our emotions and our behavior and how we deal with others in ministry. Because we can swing one way or the other. And it seems like they swung in the other direction. And that's why this is titled Ministry the Lord's Way. It's not Joe's way. It's not Calvary Chapel's way. It's Ministry the Lord's Way because we're reading what he did. He has to be the common denominator in ministry, dealing with people and dealing with problems. Verse 37. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Now, we don't have the inflection. We don't know exactly how it was said, but it's an interesting And they answered him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? So the fourth part here is the Lord's solution engenders misunderstanding and a little resistance. But heck, we've never argued with the Lord, have we? Okay, maybe once or twice, right? We know what the Word says. Oftentimes we know what the Lord wants us to do, and we tend to argue with him at times. Jesus tells them, you solve the problem. He wasn't giving them the easy answer. And they seem possibly like it might have been a little frustrating. It's too hard. You know, is this what you want us to do, Lord? They serve the ball back in the Lord's court because they don't understand. And they don't have the solution. Now, if we look at their solutions, check out, let's break this down. They were both unreasonable. Number one, send them away. Well, that's not caring for those people, sending them away. The other one is raise money. They might as well have said, hey... I know it's short notice. Anybody got a cell phone, we'll call the caterer down the street, see if you can accommodate 15,000 people. I don't think so. And ministry today sometimes can ebb and flow back and forth between worldly solutions and discounting the power of God. Let's just throw money at it. That's what the government does. Does it work? You know, I mean, if there's no heart behind it and there's no spirit behind it, just throw money at it. I think we see over time that doesn't work, and we can't do that in ministry either. We have to trust in the power of God, and we can't just become a a social club or a social organization. Well, one of the disciples seems to be on to something. In John 6, we find Andrew, you know, he's kind of sniffing out the situation, and he finds a lad with five loaves of bread and two fish, and thus he commits the first strong-arm robbery in the group. You know, they end up taking the kid's lunch. I'm sure he allowed them to have it, and then Jesus does something with it. We'll check that out in verse 38. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So the fifth point is now the Lord reveals his solution in its entirety. Thankfulness to God has to be a big factor, a big key to that. In any ministry, God has to be at the center. And anything that we do, you know, we make somebody's day, we deliver food, we bless somebody, we pray for somebody and they get better. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, can I have the strength to do this and to continue doing this? And Lord, please make it so that you continue to use me. So Jesus always taught them to be thankful to God. And I think we run into problems when we start taking God's mercy and his graciousness and his blessings for granted. It starts to change our hearts in a negative way. We become entitled. 
like a lot of society. I know I keep repeating this, but you show me any culture that a church is planted in, and I will show you some of that negativity, some of that influence getting into the church. Entitlement mentality. That should not be us. So, the fifth point. He reveals his, his, uh, his idea, his solution in its entirety. So what do we look at? Number one, what resources do we have? Right? Well, Lord, we have five loaves and two fish. Okay, it's a start. It's a step of faith. We have to start somewhere. And if we're to emulate this, we look at our own lives and we have to start somewhere. Lord, I, I receive Jesus. I, I, I love you. Um, Here's the situation. I'm willing. It's a start. There's your five loaves and your two fish. Number two, Jesus commanded them to get everyone seated, to be obedient to what he was saying. And again, there's times that we trust God even though it doesn't look good. Okay? Five loaves, two fish, 14, 15, 16,000 people. It doesn't look good. However, I'm going to trust God in this situation. And three, they sat down in ranks. Did you realize that the Lord was so organized? I love that. You know, and I'm sure the disciples were more than eager. Oh, good, he's not testing us anymore. He's telling us what to do. We like this. You know, he's, and, and when you look into the Greek language, it's almost as, as he set them up in rows. The Lord had organizational skills. Right? It wasn't chaotic. It wasn't confusion. There was organization that was involved in that. So needless to say, needless to say that they were seeing his plan in action. Just a few points before we cover the last few verses. Jesus is the bread of life. And I think through this we can see the, the, the flip-flopping between physical needs, hunger, belly. You know, we've all had hunger pangs. It can be very painful and spiritual needs, right? We can eat bread every day. We can be taken care of, nourished physically. But if we're believers, we can be starving ourselves spiritually, right? That, that could be problematic, right? And it'll, it'll show in our lives. So you see this back and forth between physical and spiritual. And a few points. Number one, sometimes today, the overfocus is on the physical. Again, food, money, whatever it is, just throw it. And they neglect what's most important. The other extreme is to neglect or to just to preach. You know, I, I've often said if you're going to leave a tract, uh, you go out to dinner and somebody's serving you and you're going to leave a tract and no tip, um, keep the tract, you know, because that's, that's really insulting. Let me give you this instead of that. Now, I'm sure some will argue with me and I'm okay with that. But my wife and I, when we leave things for our server, we also want to bless them because they worked hard to serve us, right? I mean, we wanted to serve ourselves. We could have stayed home and made something in the kitchen. Um, although my wife throws me out of the kitchen, I'm not a very good cook, but you know what I'm saying. So you need both, right? We need to feed a person spiritually, and we also have to consider their physical needs as well. And it's nice when we have that balance. Verse 42. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. So the sixth point here is the overflow as a result of God's solution. You realize that their overflow was much more 
than what they started with. Right? They had five loaves and two fish. Look how much they collected in the end. Everybody was filled. They were satiated. Not everybody got a, a fin and a, a, a piece of crust. They were filled. Okay? God's ways are always the best ways. Not only they solve the problem, but we find that there's overflow as well. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think that this can happen today? Who thinks that this could happen today? Awesome. <laughs> I think that too. I have to tell you that um, a lot of the things we do in this church seem to revolve around food. <laughs> it just is, just saying. And uh, I can think of three situations where we thought of the scripture and we prayed because we were concerned. <laughs> I was laughing back there. She likes to be very organized. The one was um, the really bad hurricane and flooding the last uh, few years ago. We actually had a Thanksgiving outreach here, and everybody was fed. Then we took the rest to a rest home, fed them, and then we went down to the shore. Uh, we were actually spent some good amount of time in the highlands because the highlands was hit really hard, and Pastor Vinny and Maria are from there. And it was amazing. I'm like, where's all this food coming from? We didn't buy anything else. The turkeys seem to be multiplying, you know. Uh, one, one women's breakfast, same thing, you know. We, it was the Christmas breakfast, and we had so much from the caterer. And we asked the pastor and his wife down the shore, listen, we have so much, you know, this is just make sure that there's a limit. Well, they didn't listen to us. They probably had more faith than we did. They put up signs. They invited everybody from the community. And it's amazing how far the food went. Again, and there was leftovers. And the third situation, uh, Liz and Vinny went to a halfway house and took food for 30 people. And somehow they were asked to come and bring it to an adult home. And they're like, we only have food for 30 people. But they went. Food for 30 people fed 70 people. And there was leftovers. But, listen, God can multiply food with a snap of a finger. He enjoys multiplying food. He enjoys responding to our faith. However, there's a lot more that he wants to do in our lives, and let's not miss that. Right? He wants to give and make up for the lack in our lives. He wants to give us the increase. What is it in your life that you're struggling with this morning? What is it that you think is beyond repair? I'm getting a little personal. What is it that you're lacking deep down inside that's still causing you to suffer, maybe many years later? Is it love? Are we being honest with ourselves when we say there's nothing? Is there something? God is the God of love, and he is the source of love. He's the one who created love and relationships. So what is it? What's happened to you? you know, why has your spiritual growth been stunted? And I don't say this in a condemning matter. I say this in a... I, you know, we only want what the scriptures want for people to, to be better. When we look at this story, we see that it's a remote area, no cars, no caterers, no cell phones. So we can see that basically there was a lack of physical food. But 2,000 years later, right, on the East Coast, most in the West are not physically hungry. Most of us in this church are well-fed but some are spiritually hungry. I woke up at 5 in the morning, and I had really sharp hunger pains. And I got up, and the only thing I could find was a few cookies without waking my wife up. They were her cookies, special cookies, but 
Um, I tell you what, it did the trick, you know. <laughs> and then I was able to go back to, I tell you, when you have hunger pains, and, and I'm not, you can see I'm not a hungry person, but it happens. And we want those pains to be, to, to be gotten rid of. But the spiritual pains are more important. Because sometimes we don't see the results of the spiritual, spiritual hunger pains until it starts affecting our life in a negative way. Jesus is the bread of life. Anyone who eats of him will never be hungry again. He wants to be our spiritual food. Let me ask you another question. Has the world left you hungry? At the age of 24, it left me hungry. And I had a a house in my 20s. I had the car I wanted. I had the girl I wanted. I had the job I wanted. And I was still hungry. No matter how much I tried to put in my stomach, it was like eating iceberg lettuce. It didn't take long before I desired something greater in my spiritual life. The world, if it hasn't left you hungry, it will. If you're still trying to find things in the world to fill you spiritually, you're going to fail. And I don't say that to be mean. The only way to start to satisfy that hunger spiritually is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's available this morning. He's here. He's here. He's everywhere. I'm just going to end with this, that all four Gospels present different things from different perspectives. And sometimes three of the Gospels has something, one doesn't. Two has something, two doesn't. And they just look at things from their perspective. But did you know that all four of the Gospels, there's very few information that all four have exactly, and that's this account. And it's something that we need to pay attention to. So let me leave you with this on this beautiful sunny day. Something to hide in our hearts, that this is available to us. This isn't just a remote story in a remote place 2,000 years ago with people we don't know their names. This has to do with us this morning. If you have a hunger, seek the Lord. When you leave here, when you're by yourself, tell him your deepest needs. You can trust him. You can make yourself vulnerable to him. Maybe not to some people. Be careful in New Jersey. But to him, you can make yourself vulnerable too. And he will fill you beyond your wildest imagination. And if you're, I can tell you that in my life, and I can find you many people in this church that will tell you the same thing. So as we leave here today, that we would think of this not just as a story to feed people, but that we would be fed as well in a spiritual way. Let's pray.